Hello everyone. Uh, good morning, good day, good evening uh, from wherever, wherever you're dialing in from. Uh, welcome to our third data dialogue uh, associated with Smart Cities Week, Australia, New Zealand 2020. My name is Adam Beck. I'm Executive Director of the Smart Cities Council here in the Australia and New Zealand region uh, and uh, delighted to welcome you. Uh, we have uh, registrants from across 11 different countries, um, so hoping to provide some uh, some knowledge sharing, uh, a little bit of entertainment and some insights today on our topic uh, for June, which is building a city analytics capability. I'd like to just uh, start by uh, giving a couple of housekeeping uh, notices, if I uh, if I may. Uh, firstly. Um, after my welcome, we're going to jump straight into what is a dialogue around this topic. It is not scripted Q&A. It will flow from here to there and everywhere. We have a bit of a storyboard that we're going to be working towards. Uh, but uh, from, uh, from our previous sessions, uh, a lot of this uh, is certainly unscripted and uh, genuine and authentic insights that come from uh, our, our guests that we have with us today. Uh, I'll wrap up uh, with some final notes and have you done within the 90 minutes uh, as we've uh, as we've specified. What I uh, what I would like you to do, uh, of course, is to ask any questions along the way. I will go into the question box. I'll try and go into the question box diligently uh, and pull out questions there that I think are highly relevant and uh, will help with uh, uh, the conversation and add, add value to the conversation. Um, we're recording this session. Um, and that will be available up for reference uh, on our YouTube channel um, as of tomorrow. You'll also get a copy in your inbox uh, via the automated uh, email prompt. Um, on YouTube, it's Smart Cities Council Australia New Zealand. You'll also find there, of course, a whole library of other webinars and sessions and dialogues and interviews that we, uh, we've been uh, putting up. Um, as I mentioned, this session today, this this uh, this dialogue is part of Smart Cities Week Australia New Zealand 2020. Um, what would normally be our three-day in-person gathering uh, somewhere in Australia, of course, has transitioned to a uh, an online platform. And what we've done is we've broken up our program into many pieces, and we have more than 22 online engagements uh, on the calendar uh, on our website there in the program between. Uh, well, last month and the end of the year. So I encourage you to jump in there. Uh, there's a whole range of different um, engagements from short one hour lunchtime rapid discovery and networking sessions all the way up to in-depth intensive uh, two hours per week, four week long collaborative project planning uh, activities with cities. Um, the, uh, the, the dialogue and the data dialogue is part of our uh, Centre for Data Leadership Initiative. Um, this is our, uh, our, our focus area, um, our, the part of the Smart Cities Council where we dedicate time and resources and energy to building this idea of data leadership. Uh, and our data dialogues are one per month. Um, so we have uh, an entire program for the remainder of the year. For those that want to access some more information around uh, our data leadership work uh, and download our five data uh, leadership vitals, um, head to that website there, centerfordataleadership.com, and you'll see some resources. Okay, so um, 
we're almost ready to go. Uh, I have a, uh, a hand-picked uh, amazing panel of five leaders from various different sectors and perspectives. Uh, Libby Harris from the city of Sydney is with us. Hello, Libby, give us a wave. Um, nighttime economy manager. Uh, can't wait to hear more about that and the work that Libby's doing. Craig Lawton from AWS, one of our partner companies. Welcome, Craig, principal solution architect for cloud and IoT. Um, Chris Isles, um, locally based here in Brisbane, where I am, uh, Economic Development Manager for Brisbane City Council. Um, Chris Pettit, uh, man of many hats, Professor of Urban Science among those at University of New South Wales. And Kerry Niven uh, from Oricon over in Christchurch, New Zealand, who's the Global Digital Collaboration Lead uh, for Oricon. Thank you all uh, for for joining us today and, and for being willing to participate in unpacking this idea of building a, data, uh, a city analytics um, capability. And we've, we've deliberately and strategically gone for that title and that topic, not to sort of serve you up necessarily a case study of this is exactly what it looks like, here's one we prepared earlier, but rather what are the key components? What are the processes? What are those sort of really important horizontal issues um, that make for a successful city analytics capability or function, whether it be in private sector, but today predominantly uh, we're looking uh, at, at local government, but could equally be applied elsewhere into other sectors. Um, so what are those key components to building a city analytics capability? How this is gonna work is I'm gonna um, ask each uh, of our five panelists to start uh, by giving us uh, a quick two minute um, response to a question that I've given them all. And I've asked them now more than ever uh, from sort of their perspective, uh, what do we need when it comes to understanding cities and city analytics and data analytics and those kind of issues? Um, so we'll start with those two minute um, introductions. Uh, and then what we'll do is we'll then transition into a conversation and that's where uh, the question uh, the question box will be um, hopefully populated by all you good folks that are on the line um, so that we can also uh, dip into those as we go along and answer some of those questions. Um, so without further ado, uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to uh, start with Craig Lawton. Um, Craig, firstly, just before you jump into your two minute response, a quick 20 minute more detailed bio, who you are and what you do would be great if I can ask you to kick off. So 20 seconds. Um, so I'm, uh, I've been working at uh, Amazon Web Services for five years as a, an architect in the last couple of years as a solutions architect focused on smart cities and transport and that domain. Um, I'm, the, uh, I'm the child of two state school teachers and both my grandfathers were engineers. So it was kind of preordained that I, I got into technology and I liked uh, talking about and explaining the, the technologies. Excellent, so thank you, seconds. Craig. <laughs> no, you were good with that. So what we've got now is two minutes response to my question. Now more than ever, from your perspective, what do cities need? What must we do from an analytics and uh, understanding capability? I'll set the clock now, over to you. So I think uh, in three three things, I think you need to look at how you build up your uh, the digital analytics capability of uh, the city councils and initially start with how you use that on your existing data assets. We find, as I speak to customers, that there's a lot of data out there, but a lot of it is is locked up. So that 
means starting to, to look at your data assets um, that traditionally will be in silos um, and how can you make that universally accessible and a technology pattern which is common for, for that is data lakes which uh, people might have heard of across the board. Uh, and, and I think it requires leadership too. I think you need conviction and a strong alignment of your um, your leadership team in your organisation. And I think that then uh, helps drive the, the initial um, development of the solution. Well, one of the things that we've found is that, uh, particularly with cloud computing, which is what Amazon Web Services do, it allows you to, to start small with solution and iterate and then build a solution that um, can evolve over time without that large upfront technology investment. Uh, so we've got a particular methodology called the three by three by three, and the challenge is for us to get in there and, and, and look for insights from three data sets over three meetings and provide value in three weeks. But the underlying principles for the analytics capability can, can be applied um, uh, they're, they're long standing, it can be applied over a longer period of time. And when it gets to the, the capability uh, angle, the, the 30 seconds. Know, thinking, thinking about how you can um, develop your internal capability, but also make use of partner organisations and um, educational institutions as well to augment that and build that over time and also pull your capability perhaps with uh, regional council organisations. Oh, that's lovely, Craig. One minute, 57 seconds. That's the new time to beat. Libby, there is no pressure on you, but let's start quickly. Uh, 20, 20 words or less. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, thanks, Adam, and good morning, everyone. Um, look, I've been working at the City of Sydney now for about nine years. I spent the past seven years working in the nighttime economy space. Um, my background is actually sort of public safety. Um, I spent 13 odd years in the police, corporate security, uh, running my own consulting business before joining the city. But, um, you know, now uh, with the nighttime economy work, I'm sort of working with a, a small group driving a national agenda around um, the research for the nighttime economy um, and, you know, have a sort of long history of interest in data throughout my career. So that's it in a nutshell, I guess. <laughs> No, brilliant. Thank you, Libby. And uh, your two-minute response, uh, the question now more than ever uh, from uh, your perspective, cities must fill in the blank. Yeah, so as, as you mentioned, I'm going to take a nighttime economy perspective. So, um, look, it's essential that cities actually have a plan for their nighttime economy um, that actually sets out clear objectives and goals. Um, without that, you know, you don't have anything to measure. So, um, having those and then a monitoring and evaluation framework that enables you to actually measure um, the changes, not only in the nighttime economy, but you know, the impact of you know, government policy and the programs that are being rolled out to support the nighttime economy. With that, of course, comes data. So, you know, what are the questions that need to be answered um, around the nighttime economy to, for us to better understand it, to be able to support its healthy and sustainable growth. Um, you know, and with that comes data. So what, what data can answer those specific questions? Um, particularly for local government, everyone's got different um, resourcing and um, capabilities, finance, et cetera. So, you know, really look at what, what data is already available um, to local government and there's plenty. So um, there's a lot of data that's already provided. 
um, and also what new data might you need to collect um, in that. And then, you know, as I always say, you know, you collect data, but then it's so what? What does that mean and how do you use it? So really having a framework that sets out the plan, what, what needs to be achieved, and then actually how you're going to measure the impact of what you're doing um, to make improvements. That's it. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks, uh, thanks, Libby. And we'll unpack, uh, unpack some of that uh, shortly. Um, Chris Isles, over to you. Firstly, 20-word uh, bio. Who are you and what do you do? Yeah, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Chris Isles. I'm the Economic Development Manager at Brisbane City Council. Uh, within Brisbane, I think we're one of the few councils that the economic portfolio actually includes our smart city um, program and, and I guess an emerging city analytics program as well. So I manage our broader economic portfolio uh, but also the smart city and city analytics programs within council. Um, an urban planner by training uh, and I've been in private sector for the last 20 years and then joined council uh, in January this year. And what's been a very quiet time. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure it has for an economic <laughs> development manager. Uh, thank you, Chris, for that, uh, that brief bio. I'm gonna start the clock here with your two minutes. The question is now more than ever from a city analytics perspective, cities must fill in the blank. I think cities must start to look um, at some of the gaps in that traditional siloed vertical approach. Most city councils um, and, and true of, of policy in general tends to look vertically. Um, I think more and more cities have these emerging horizontal issues that transact many of the things that, of the traditional vertical. So using transport mobility as an example, that's no longer a transport issue. That's something that sits in planning and economics as much as it is transport, lifestyle, livability, investment, attraction. So it, they're no longer kind of issues that we can leave to be handled by one of our more classic verticals. So I think the city analytics opportunity um, provides cities to look horizontally at the things that might otherwise fall between the gaps or the issues that have um, trans transactional kind of opportunities that piece together across those various programs. But I think the other thing that cities really need to do is start building a data culture and data capability. Um, it's certainly, whilst there's a plethora of data in, in government and in particular in local governments, we're not short on data. What we're short on is our ability to actually provide meaningful insights from that. Um, and I think one of the things that we all need to focus on is what's our best use of our technical staff and whether that's having them crunching the data or learning teaching them how to work with data analysts um, to actually crunch those data and find insights in the longer term excellent chris thanks so much for that and uh while we're talking to chris's let's uh let's not stop there chris pettit good morning hello who are you and what do you do hi adam um at UNSW, I'm the director of the City Analytics Program. So we have a master's program we kicked off a couple of years ago. And um, we have a city analytics lab, which we use for supporting um, collaboration, bringing groups together, government, industry, communities, to look at city analytic techniques. And just to top that off, we have a, a city analytics program within the City Futures Research Centre that I head up. So I, I spend a lot of my time living, eating, breathing city analytics. Okay, so you might have something to say today. Okay, so uh, your two-minute response to our question today, our kickoff question, now more than ever from a city analytics perspective, cities must fill in the blank 
I'll set the timer over to you. So two minutes, gosh. Understand and embrace city analytics. We need to have that fundamental understanding um, and councils need to understand um, what that capability is to support better planning and design amongst other functions of the city. Very briefly, as an academic, we have a definition that we present to our students in city analytics, which is essentially, it's a digital toolkit um, comprising a set of frameworks and methods to support um, collaborative city planning and user-centered design. So um, at UNSW, we've been um, looking at building um, city analytics um, as an educational research knowledge exchange capability and um, we encourage councils to do so also being able to harness that power of city analytics. Um, it's a fast evolving area um, and I think the opportunity to, to look at um, upskilling and being able to understand the potentials of data analytics and insights, uh, being able to look at more advanced modeling and simulation, um, what if scenarios of, of our future cities, um, as we're dealing with challenges of, of resilience right now and other massive challenges facing our cities. Of course, we need the visualization and the dashboards so we can get fast views of what's happening now and in the future of our cities. And importantly, um, not to be underestimated, we need a systems thinking approach. So we need the approach to break down those silos that the previous speakers have talked about uh, to look at true collaboration in solving city challenges and problems. Okay. Wow, that sounds really simple, um, and I'm sure we'll solve it today. Thanks, uh, thanks, Chris. Okay, last round, uh, la last last person in our round of introductions, um, Kerry Niven. Um, thank you so much for joining in from what seems to be lovely, sunny Christchurch. No doubt it's very chilly and cold outside. But Kerry, give us a sense of who you are and what you do. Hi, um, thanks Adam, thanks for having me today. Uh, so I've got an interesting background, I guess, um, in that it's a bit of a collision um, between science and engineering, which is a bit of an uncomfortable space um, to be in sometimes. So uh, I've worked for a very long time in uh, geospatial technologies and um, in the last 10 years, really driving the use of geospatial technology in, to progress digital engineering. So looking at how, ways we can use visualization to improve collaboration as part of the digital um, and design processes that we work on. That's really my passion, I guess, is that intersection between collaboration, digital technology and human-centered design. Brilliant, thank you so much for that. And um, your, your two-minute response to our question, I'm not gonna repeat it again, people will start throwing things at me, but I'll start the timer <laughs> now. So I, I guess my take on it is um, because I work so often with organisations who are some way along the process of digitisation and starting to get their heads around collectively what is their sort of digital digital estate. So I look at this as a journey and we subscribe quite heavily to the McKinsey way of thinking that has this three horizons. So the H1 is the what can we do right now, um, looking forward to the H3 of what's possible in the future. and. In order to do that, I think what's really important is the framework that we continue to um, progress towards this ultimate end goal when we're not quite sure what that might be. And um, following along from that, I really see that this is um, about using technology as an enabler, not actually as the whole process in itself. And what's really critical to me is we're asking the question, so who are we actually creating these smarter cities for? and who is the ultimate consumer of the things that we create. And 
um, what we like to think at Oricon is that a lot of what we do as designers is we leave a legacy. So the ultimate consumers of the things that we design and the things that we create are the people who need to live in these environments. And so I think we ask ourselves the question, you know, what is this future city? Is it sustainable? Is it productive? Is it, um, is it resilient? And then what are the things that we need to do to bring together in order to reach that end goal? Um, and it's really around this, can we bring visualization to give contextual information, allow us to collaborate better, create better engagement, and ultimately generate better insights. So I think that's the way I see it as a... That's great. Um, Kerry, thank you. Um, let's uh, let's have a dialogue now. So I'm going to I'm going to start, of course, with current context and circumstances and all things health pandemic. Uh, and in, and indeed, we have uh, someone um, early out of the blocks in the question box asking around um, uh, data and experiences and new forms of data, particularly uh, in, in light of COVID-19. Before we, before I ask you to answer that question, we will come back to that later, but it's a, it's a good scene setter here. So um, I think it's it's fair to say that um, data became quite a, uh, a daily uh, sort of, you know, menu item um, over the past three months as we all sort of um, watched and observed and, and kept count of number of active cases, number of um, confirmed cases, um, unfortunately, you know, deaths and things like that. So, so data became uh, quite prominent. Um, and not only that, uh, I think a number of cities that I observed were certainly, whether they liked it or not, they, they certainly had to dive uh, headfirst into um, uh, some sort of, you know, insights creation either based on data they had uh, or sort of new, new data that they either purchased or indeed, you know, if there was rapid sort of, you know, for example, you know, sensing of certain, um, you know, urban conditions. Um, I, I have it on, on good authority that pedestrian, IoT pedestrian counters were flying off the shelf, for example, given that they, um, that they are an opportunity to sort of, you know, Get a sense or some insights in terms of where uh, activity is or isn't happening. So, um, I would like to start off with um, Chris. I'm going to go straight to you, um, just because um, Chris Isles, of course. Um, I'll start with you. Can you can you talk to me? Tell us, share with us, uh, what if anything was your sort of data and analytics journey over the last three months, either planned or random? Yeah, um, look, there's no doubt we, like most cities, um, rapidly responded to kind of the emerging issues of COVID. Um, I guess in the first instance, uh, we were just trying to understand scale of impact. Um, and we'll, we're still doing that. And then we'll now continue, now we've kind of built some capability to use that as a monitoring tool to kind of track our recovery out to kind of see, you know, as or when we return to um, inverted commas normal or what the new normal is. So for us, we're probably lucky, um, I guess, as, as, you know, one of the largest or the largest local government, we've probably got a reasonable amount of capability and a lot of data out there. So we had those pedestrian counting devices already, 
um, across our core city centre areas. So we have been tracking for a long time people movement. I guess the purpose of it changed from one of investment and attraction and, and reporting to know how many people visited our core entertainment and uh, retail precincts to now being want to track how less people are tracking them as opposed to how many more people are coming there. Um, but that certainly has been one of the core sets. We've created um, a, a, a cluster of uh, I guess you could call it a dashboard or a cluster of data sets called City Life, uh, which is our way to bring together a range of disparate data sets held across the organisation to help um, our organisation, both the, the two halves of it, you know, administrative half and the political half, to understand what's happening in our city. So that covered people movement. We've been tracking expenditure um, movements and, and I guess where the money is moved as well as where the people's moved and how that is different in our city. We've been tracking a range of um, COVID style vulnerabilities, I guess more classic ABS data sets, but bringing them together with known and impacted business um, and types of businesses to actually map out possible vulnerabilities uh, geographically across the city. But then sort of tracking everything else from cycling data through to uh, congestion data, movement data, um, parking volumes and those kind of things, bring it all together into one spot to allow everyone. Uh, so it's certainly been, um, wasn't work, I mean, all that work was being done. It was just never in one spot before. We've brought it all into one spot. Probably fair to say that was the hard work and certainly one of the lessons that we've shared amongst local governments in southeast Queensland is the need for some commonality of, I guess, data um, standards because it's the biggest part of the job wasn't actually getting the data. The biggest part of the job was actually getting eight different data sets to all be able to come into one um, portal and then um, then be in one dashboard. So the transformation part was the hardest part because there was a lack of consistency in how that data came into our organisation or was held. Okay, thank you. Libby, I'm going to cut straight to you and we'll stick with uh, a little conversation here from a, from a local government perspective. So um, you, you enter, the city enters COVID-19 with a nighttime economy agenda. Okay, you know, from what I understand, goals and strategies, um, among other things. Share maybe some reflections on what what it meant for you as the nighttime economy manager to to see what happened. I mean, in, in, I mean, I, I never got the opportunity to get to Sydney, of course, but I mean, you know, we saw CBDs just become ghost towns. What what, what was your feeling as you sort of saw this play out, and and what were you able to do in in your role and capacity? Yeah. Um, look, heartbreaking. <laughs> 2020 was set for us to be um, a really good year, a big year with lots of reforms coming through and a lot of work being put in over the past five to six years. Um, so yeah, quite devastating in the city centre. Um, like our pedestrian count suggested, you know, a 90% reduction in you know the, the the amount of footfall in the CBD. Um, Look, and from our perspective, um, our response was um, looking at the policy gaps or looking at the gaps between what federal and state government were actually doing to support business and what the role of the City of Sydney was to actually fill any gaps, look at, you know, who the most vulnerable communities were and who, from a business perspective, hospitality. Certainly, um, you know, 
outside of tourism, you know, probably the most impacted, um, the first to be shut down um, and likely being from an entertainment perspective, so hospitality being food, beverage and entertainment, um, probably being the last to, to reopen. Um, so you look, our response was one to um, look at a grants program, so funding, um, was the first one, as well as a, a, a business concierge that was set up to actually help small businesses actually navigate the environment. Um, you know, obviously very, very stressful. Um, people's livelihoods, you know, seriously impacted. Um, so it was really about, you know, looking at what the role that we were to play. Um, and then, you know, acting very quickly internally to, to come together. Um, obviously, our council met um, and supported a funding program um, to actually do that. We've since developed up a recovery plan, which actually goes to council this month, which will look at our longer term sort of, uh, well, the, the, our next iteration. So sort of our first response and recovery um, and then our longer term planning. So. Um, yeah, look, it was devastating. 2020 was going to be the best year yet for us. Mm. Um, so a lot of businesses hurting, um, but also on the same on the same note, a lot of businesses, um, you know, our most entrepreneurial, um, being able to pivot very quickly. So, for example, um, distilleries, you know, reverting to production of um, hand sanitizers. Um, you know, the state government was actually fairly quick to respond as well with relaxing regulations to actually enable home delivery of cocktails, as an example, from bars, um, restaurants being able to pivot to, you know, takeaway um, and home delivery as well. So we saw a lot of transition from um, into the e-commerce space, um, which is, you know, something that the city's been working on for a number of years to support small business to become more digital capable. Um, so we've run some programs as well around sort of, you know, helping businesses to navigate that transition um, and helping them with, you know, that whole digital space as well. So digital literacy programs. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Chris Pettit. Um, I, I mean, we, we, we have certainly observed, um, the um, you know the, the the sort of you know tragic outcomes that we're seeing from this pandemic to our uh, to our academic institutions and, and universities and you know at times schools um, I, I want to park that one but but I want to ask you a question from a technical perspective and your role in city analytics. I can only imagine that as this was sort of all happening that, you know, there were observations and insights that you were sort of grabbing, uh, noodling on things I can, I can imagine. What, what have you learned as, a, as, a, uh, as an educator uh, in this space of city analytics? Um, you know, you, you've created a blueprint for this. Um, what did you learn? What did you observe that you think is going to help the city analytics process idea, skills capability be better? Yeah, good question, Adam. So 
I guess, as you said, universities have been hit fairly hard. Um, and I guess being able to just all of us move online, whether it's moving online for education, moving online for these sorts of um, get-togethers and important discussions. And um, that, if you translate that more broadly into, I guess, visions of, of city planning and telecommuting um, that came about in the 1980s, how do we start to then, you know, use this opportunity um, as well the situation and look at it in a in a positive light. So I guess if if I think about it, we're, we're all and many people who were not into using this technology. I think you know in this audience we're all quite familiar with Teams and all these sorts of digital tools. Um, but being able to see other colleagues pick these up and both within universities and within councils and so forth and continue that collaboration. Um, and seeing that we can upskill quite quickly. So one of the challenges, I guess, broadly speaking around city analytics is what we are trying to do at UNSW is, is skill up planners, designers, those working in cities, because this whole area of tech has been moving so quickly. Um, and I think a lot of people um, in organisations have, have felt somewhat intimidated by the technology. And I think this is an opportunity for us to embrace it. And I'm seeing colleagues who are, are, are coming into Teams and these video conferencing um, go meetings for the first time and starting to feel confident um, more with the technology, trusting it. And also the culture around um, trusting their teams and colleagues to be working diligently from home. So there's been some learnings there. Um, dashboards, is, and you, you talked about it before, Adam, um, being able to have dashboards that are not just digital bling, that we put a dashboard up to say, hey, isn't our organisation doing really well? Here's our public facing dashboard against our KPIs. But actually having dashboards, you know, we see the one out of John Hopkins University that, that I look at daily, Sydney Morning Herald and others are using that as an authoritative source of, um, you know, what's happening across the globe with this, this pandemic. And having those dashboards, and Chris mentioned um, the dashboard work out of um, Brisbane City Council, actually seeing these used for making decisions. And I guess seeing our Prime Minister and government listen to the epidemiologists and those doing the modelling and simulation and having that information actually used to drive decisions. So, and that's what City Analytics is about. It's about how do we use the data and the insights, the dashboards, and so I guess we've got this opportunity that we are very fortunate in Australia that we are digitally uplifted. Um, we have good connectivity. We have a maturity of data sets across councils and organisations. Um, and we really need to um, use those um, to our full advantage. And I guess to a degree we, we are across Australia and New Zealand. I guess New Zealand's leading the way, um, I think globally on this response. Um, there's probably no question about that. Um, but how do we really use this data, this technology to respond and also use it to pivot to better solutions for our cities and, you know, cycling analytics and active transport. And I'll just finish, but one example in the UK, we know there's two billion pounds, not dollars, two billion pounds being invested in the UK in, in, in looking at improving their active transport infrastructure. 
250 million pounds of that is pop-up cycleways. And they're using tools, these digitally enabled planning support systems like a propensity to cycle tool that University of Leeds have developed. Transport for London are using that to make decisions about where do they put pop-up cycleways. So we're actually seeing this technology, these tools that um, for us in academia, we've been looking at for the last 20 years, starting to be really properly put through their paces and used for decision-making and hopefully better planning and design of our cities. Thanks, uh, thanks, Chris. Hey, Kerry, um, I, I've certainly, um, uh, I've certainly admired the national leadership in New Zealand. Um, I, I've been watching on the sideline um, those sort of early calls for shovel-ready projects around infrastructure in New Zealand. As a practitioner in this space, um, you know, city systems and understanding um, information and, and communicating that and getting people to, to collaborate around that. What, uh, what observations and reflections have you got from a, a, a sort of an analytics and, and data perspective with respect to New Zealand's uh, response or recovery uh, or otherwise when it, when, it, when it comes to city analytics? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And so just today, there's a new announcement from government that they've got 11 priority shovel-ready oh. projects. Um, there's six of them are in Auckland, um, which isn't surprising. Um, but they were projects that were in the pipeline anyway, um, at some level of planning. And what's interesting is, um, so Oricon is a business much like everybody else, you know, we mobilised 5,500 people um, into their home offices uh, in sort of about 48 hours. And in New Zealand, um, there's a thousand odd of us, and we shifted almost seamlessly overnight. And I guess that's the proof that necessity is the uh, driver for you know for innovation and invention and and we did with what we needed to and so what what it's actually meant is our collaboration um, improved overnight because I had to so we shifted to our design teams who have always been globally distributed um, certainly in the last three or four years Oricon's been working towards a global platform um, or collection of platforms to allow us to work seamlessly across borders and geographies um, on projects. So what we could do then in, in the New Zealand sense is, is localise that. And we found some um, very interesting things as a result, actually. So uh, on some of these shovel-ready projects, they are now saying, OK, mobilise very quickly. And organisations who are able to centre around op um, opportunities like that are the ones who are um, seeing the most benefits, if that's the right word to use of this current situation. Um, but that is really what it takes, is it's an understanding of collaboration um, and an understanding of how technology can facilitate better collaboration as part of a process, rather than being a technology um, for technology's sake. And um, we are really seeing also Lots of um, coming together across industry, so new partnerships that didn't exist. Um, there's an example of a, a major infrastructure project in the North Island uh, that was a, it had sort of two um, competing consortiums, and the government has turned around and said, "Okay, so join together into one and uh, get on with it effectively." So brand new ways of working um, that ultimately call out for better collaboration um, at pace. So I think that. 
it, it'll be, it's probably too early to tell uh, the success of that in terms of what we create. <laughs> um, but certainly it's, it's really interesting space to be in at the moment in New Zealand is just so many opportunities that the government, you know, trying desperately to get us back on our feet. You can only probably exist with closed borders for so long. Um, so that's, I guess, our next challenge is what happens when we go out further. But at the moment, it, it's certainly um, connected different parts of the industry together um, in ways that would have once been competing. So. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Kerry. Um, Craig, I'm, I'm going to use you sort of as, as the last sort of contributor to this round of COVID-related sort of questioning, um, but but usually to kick off sort of this next phase of the discussion that I want to have, and let's talk about city analytics and capability. Um, the, the question box here is lighting up, and I think every second one of them is talking about data and technology. What's the role of CCTV in analytics? So we, we've got we've got a number of people on the line that want to understand the tech and data, and and I think um, um, you know it's a very sort of natural mindset we go to, right? Which is the tech and data when we talk about analytics. Uh, and, and Libby, I'm going to come back later on and circle you in around having clear outcomes. Um, I'm the kind of guy that starts at outcomes and then you can work out the tech and data if it's CCTV or otherwise, that's fine, but work out the data. Anyway, let, let, let's talk about tech and data and let's sort of jump from there. Um, Craig, you're part of a global organisation that's got a little yep. bit of size and scale. Um, can you, what was going through your lens as you watched stuff unfold, you know, as, as sort of like a, a solutions and, and technology, but also an experience, right? You know, customer yep. first experience kind of company. What what was what was coming through your lens when you sort of saw all of this kind of happen? I, I heard this, uh, I think it's a saying, I don't know who to attribute it to, that uh, history sometimes I think uh, seconds happen in decades and then decades happen in seconds and if I think back to February it seems like a lifetime ago mm. um, I, I think there's a lot of uncertainty so I think nobody wanted this to happen um, in their right mind but um, dealing with uncertainty and making decisions in that uh, time frame was personally uh, quite challenging um, but what was very inspiring was, was seeing uh, customers and partners um, inventing and um, building new solutions uh, on very short timeframes uh, that were dealing with uh, uh, you know the change circumstances. Uh, for example, uh, West Australian Police stood up a, a data centre in a, a matter of weeks um, using one of our services and um, uh, the New South Wales Health Pathology, they, they put in a notification service um, that allowed uh, people to very quickly uh, get results uh, when it was they had a negative COVID-19 result. So you're seeing people spin up these solutions. Uh, you know, some people were doing really extremely long hours in our customers and partner uh, teams to, to stand these up, but um, technology solutions that wouldn't have been capable in the past. And then a lot of people have been looking at data and trying to ask questions of the data. And we've had a lot of customers start to, to revisit how they, they do analytics um, and their approach to it. Um, and, and, um, and perhaps be a, a bit more open uh, in the, the way they use data than in the past. So a new appreciation of data 
you think is certainly going to be one positive outcome from the recent experience, Craig? Yeah, so I'm an IoT specialist and it hurts me to say that Smart Cities is, is more around the use of data and digital capability. Uh, I think one of the things that uh, has changed in technology over the, the my career has the the building blocks that people can use to um, to create solutions have become more sophisticated and more available. You can, can consume them as a service. You don't need to invest in hardware and software licenses. And so it en enables people to, to build solutions uh, a lot quicker from the ground up. And so if you wanted to, to build a, a data lake solution, uh, there are templates and quick starts uh, that can get you started. And, uh, and uh, there's an old school IT law called Conway's law. And I, it's, I don't know if anybody's familiar with it, but it, it's always front of mind that uh, organizations tend to build systems which represent their organizational hierarchies. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, everybody has their own database. And I think one of the things that's changed is people are going, we need to really store our data universally so that it can be accessed, so that people can discover data sets within organizations um, and and use the tools and, and languages that they're used to to access that data um, without the, um, you know, the, the, the typical gatekeepers that you find in organizations. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to move uh, between my um, my sort of somewhat structured dialogue and what our audience is interested in hearing uh, responses from. I, I'm going uh, I'm I'm to clear one off the list here. Um, so I'll allow up to two of our panellists to respond to this one. Can you provide a real use case for the innovative use of a new or existing data stream, kind of context, um, COVID-19 context, a use case for a new or existing data stream over the last three months. Who wants to give that one a go? Give us an example. Who, who saw something, who did something? Look, I'm happy to start. Um, I mentioned it earlier, but analysing the spending data. So that's something that our economic development team has been doing for two years now. It's been done to inform our economic development strategy and just kind of generally track um, our economy. Um, I certainly saw an opportunity to use that more tactically in a COVID sense to actually look at how the money was shifting um, more narrowly in our city. So what we've been able to glean some insights and it hasn't been easy, I might add, um, because of the way that the data is uh, provided and obviously some privacy um, issues around sort of how granular the data can get. We can only really get the data down to probably an SA2 level, which is probably not as granular as I'd like because particularly when we start talking around smaller suburban economies, we're talking clusters of shops um, and probably not as granular as I'd like it, but I'll take what I can get at the moment. So we've been able to glean insights like the fact that there's $100 million per month less being spent by Brisbane people in Brisbane at the moment. We know that 55% of our suburbs have less money being spent in them than were being spent pre-COVID, but on the positive side, that means 45% of our suburbs have more money being spent in them. We're able to dig into what's local spend, so by residents in their suburb, and we can see that um, that increase, that 45%, is generally because people are naturally at home and spending more money um, in their shops nearby. 
we but the hundred million a month generally is coming more than fifty percent of that from our CBD. So um, we've been able to do some longitudinal analysis now that we've been doing that over um, really the last sort of three months now. Um, and we're starting to see that um, that money, the get the expenditure is actually decreasing still. You know, the last quarter, the last fortnight that we just got in the last few days has shown that that spending is still going down. Um, it's not going up. So even though we're probably seeing a broad recovery in our sentiment, you know, I think everyone is feeling more positive. Borders are reopening. We can go to cafes. We can do all of that other stuff. But the dollars still aren't flowing just yet. Um, and I think that's probably not unexpected because we know from analysing, again, um, unemployment data that we're starting to, to now get through finally, um, that we've had significant amount of change in our unemployment. I think our projections were heading to about 140,000 additional unemployed in Brisbane for the quarter, um, which is not insignificant. Um, and when you start to track that through, that's not picking up the, the number of people who are still employed, but maybe you have taken a 20% pay cut or working four days a week. So the, the amount of money less coming into the economy has to obviously be reflected in spending. So I mean, that's kind of for us, our one of our core ways we've taken a data set we've used for two years and used it in a completely different way. Okay, one more response to an innovative new or existing data stream, Chris. Thanks, Adam. So with COVID, we set up a, a property dashboard where we're harvesting a number of data sets and that's all open. It's a public facing dashboard um, based on a project that we have called Value Australia, working with Combank, um, Liverpool City Council, Property New South Wales, uh, Frontier SI. And we're starting to then harvest data sets. And one of those in that dashboard is, is looking at sentiment analysis and being able to look at um, Twitter data and triangulate that around the property market and COVID to understand sentiment based on these announcements that we get from politicians and so forth to understand what might that be having on our property market. Um, that's updated every five minutes in, in that dashboard and we're trying to understand these signals, these these announcements around, um, you know, investments in um, uh, the housing market that the government are making around um, extensions and what is that meaning and trying to now track that and link that to broader scale property metrics that we have like the, the house price index that CoreLogic puts together um, and other indices and trying to then triangulate what does this mean for the Australian property market because we've got scenarios anywhere from um, you know a, a, an expected dip of 10% for the property market to anywhere up to 50% and obviously that, that will be catastrophic um, for the Australian economy if we go anywhere near that 50%. So we're trying to look at how do we grab existing open data and then triangulate that and model it to, to explore these scenarios. Okay. Thank, thanks, Chris. So, um, so Craig, Kerry, we, we can kind of sense anything, can't we? I, I, I mean, the am I exaggerating if I say that our ability to, to sense and gather conditions from the environment, from society, from the economy. I mean, te technically, we, 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 we're pretty strong, aren't we? The, the, the tech is there, yeah? Would you like to go, Kerry? Just, just sort of gut feel. I want to sort of build a narrative here. I, I think the technology certainly exists. Um, the challenge is bringing it together and connecting it. And 
understanding that there's multiple different networks, I guess, and, and you're all probably a better place to talk in detail about you know, how they all fit together than I am. Um, the observation that I would make from working with all our um, clients in quite different industries is that that seems to be the challenge, that in their own right, we are we're creating the capability to measure, record, and actually in, in most cases now start to analyze and get insights out of the data that's important to this particular area. But what they are lacking is the ability to see the ecosystem within which that information resides um, and maybe the foresight to understand how and why it's important to join that together. Okay, I'm gonna come back to that. So yes, you've confirmed that essentially we can sense anything and gather anything and we can store yep. anything and we're verging on you know, the, the, the moment in time where kind of we can then just automatically convert it into insights delivered to your iPhone or other device every second. Craig, from, from a technical capacity perspective, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being dramatic, am I, when I say that we can sense anything, right? Yeah, look, um, well, one of the, the great solutions is a, a, a primarily a Brisbane company uh, called um, Bigmate that uh, came up with that was already in their roadmap, but they brought it rapidly forward. Was a, a portable uh, thermal camera solution that used AI, uh, and you know, if you're an organisation, you could uh, buy one of their solutions. They called it Thermi, and you could get a Thermi camera to your work site if you had essential workers, and it could use AI and the thermal imaging to detect. Uh, you know, it would strip away all the the bits that weren't the thermal measurement of my skin and it'll tell you whether you've got an elevated temperature and you don't need to have a skill set it uses um, machine learning at the edge as we call it to, to do this detection and say that person is a bit warmer so let's um, go check out if they've got a, a fever and perhaps so you protect the workforce and, and you're also uh, keeping workforces open so that, that was a great solution uh, out of Brisbane They've they've gone they've sold uh, a lot of their solution globally, and so their their ability to act powerfully in this situation and pivot quickly is has um, really been great to see. So that's a, a great example. And uh, uh, you know we work with a lot of network providers as well. So LoRaWAN's a big technology. And we work with a lot of the local providers that are, are doing interesting solutions to sense their environment. We're we're doing some work with a one of the large city councils on a test bed at the moment that we hope to be able to demonstrate uh, soon that we'll be able to show how you can bring this technology together and how it integrates with your analytics capability. And then lastly, yeah, a lot of people have been asking about CCTV footage because uh, most cities already have the infrastructure there and the ability to do some basic computer vision techniques on those that computer vision and, and do things like uh, count cars or count people and, and use those data sets. Um, uh, people are, uh, are seeing that capability and I think there are uh, a lot of concerns around facial recognition and that side of technology but putting that aside uh, there's a lot you can do with um, say how many people are on this train platform uh, can I get a measure of how densely packed they are can I provide that as information to commuters so they can make informed decisions um, and so there's a lot of people starting to ask questions around that because the CCTV infrastructure is already there and it doesn't require uh, deployment of a lot of devices or a new network or anything like that. Um, so it allows you to, to, to innovate quickly. Okay, so we can, we can sense anything. We, we can, you know, process data. We can, we can gather insights. 
instantly, um, but for what? Okay, and, and for what purpose? Libby, talk to us about the role of metrics and goals in this idea of, of, of city analytics, because surely all of this is for some purpose, right? I mean, and I always ask the question, I mean, did it change anything? You know, are we saving lives? Are there less homeless people on the street? I mean, for what? Okay. Um, you, you've got a very niche, very clear remit, nighttime economy. I assume you've got some goals and targets. C can you help us understand how, how you queue that up? How, how, is that a three-week process? Is it a three-month process? A three-year process? Um, and how important or, or not or otherwise does that play in making all of the other parts of this city analytics relevant or not? Talk to mm -hmm. us about that upstream, that real sort of you know uh, head of the snake kind of uh, place where you know that's where we want we want to make an impact. Yeah, look, I guess, I mean, I'm less of a technical person and more about, I guess, um, the policy and the, you know, the, the, the why, you know, so nighttime economy, um, you know, the city spent quite some time developing our strategy, which sets out, you know, five key goal areas. Um, unfortunately, what they didn't do was one of the first strategies the city ever developed. They didn't actually develop an evaluation or monitoring framework, so we've had to retrofit that, and that's taken some time. So, I think you know it's it, it is it is the so what question. You know, we there's so much data out there. You know, we can collect a lot of data, but so what? What does it mean, and how does it help us? Um, so, nighttime economy. You know, there's a lot of academic research about you know the problems associated with sort of late night trading and disorder and violence. Um, so, certainly, the city's developed a, um, a strategy which was really about reframing the problem around violence in the city at night. So, it was rather than what are we going to do about violence, it's like what do we want from our city at night. So, it was really identifying the community aspirations for the nighttime economy. And what are the key components um, that make up a really vibrant, safe um, and exciting nightlife? Um, hence, you know, a set of goals and objectives that sort of frame that. Um, so it's taken some time, it's taken years, I mean, limited resources um, to actually retrofit an evaluation and monitoring framework around that. We did have something to start with, which was, you know, sort of high level economic data, how many jobs, how many businesses, um, and, you know, what's the sort of turnover. Um, but then we've also sort of looked at, you know, a, a range of other things within it. So, you know, diversity of offer in our nightlife is one of our key elements to a, a healthier nightlife. So rather than just having, you know, drink establishments are the only things in an in an area, um, the diversity of offer is a key thing. So how do we actually measure that? Um, you know, so we've put in place policies and programs. We've been working over the past five or six years on some reforms. So our late night trading planning controls. For the first time ever, our planning controls, um, which are normally designed to put rules in place, to constrict and constrain. Actually, our strategic planning team did an amazing job to, 
to reflect our strategy, so to incentivize more of what we wanted to see. So monitoring the change over time is about you know, the data, um, but without understanding what we want to achieve in the first place, what data are you collecting and why? So I guess in essence we've used um, you know, the, the, the policy framework and why we're actually doing something in the first place as um, the mechanism to, to define and design the questions we want to ask, therefore the data we need to collect to actually go, is what we're doing effective? Is it making a difference? Um, if it's not, you know, we pivot or we... So it's really critical. Um, without a plan, without objectives, you don't have direction. And if you're collecting data for data's sake, it's like, well, what for? What what impact are you really, you know, what 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 is that data informing? Is it informing decision making? Um, so for us, it's really about, um, and we're we're still on that journey, Adam. You know, we're we're you know we've got a good grasp of our slow data, you know, ABS data, things that you know we get a year after it's actually, you know, it's a year old. Um, some of the things we're really trying to work on is, you know, that fast data. So all of that open source data um, on the internet that you can, you know, develop APIs for and scrape so to get more of a, um, a granular feel for what's going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, that the information is key to understanding what's going on and whether the policies that we're putting in place, the programs we're putting in place are actually making a difference to achieve our goals. So, so Chris Pettit, if we take that nighttime economy overview, the process that Libby's just described, articulating the outcomes, doing the research to try and identify the metrics to measure change, um, come up with policies and initiatives that sort of help direct towards that from a from the, from the city analytics professor, I mean, is it just a mere fact of sort of copying and pasting that across the 24 other silos within a city to come up with your city analytics sort of approach? We just need to do that now for transportation, uh, parks and wildlife, um, public works, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or am I simplifying that too much? If, if, if we could do that, and put that across those verticals, that approach, that would be wonderful. But we also then want to explore those horizontal benefits of a, of an approach that we might get some some win-wins or some extra benefits. For example, if I just sort of take that sort of thinking, which is a great approach, Libby, if you start to look at that for say, you know, other parts of the city, um, like what I've seen in Arizona around cycling, where they start to think about, you know, the policies driving um, better use of their, their road infrastructure uh, for cycleways. And now that's sort of um, come out of their transport group um, out of um, um, Phoenix. Um, and then that's also moved into their, their road maintenance group and assets management. So every time now they have a policy of upgrading the road, they automatically put in a new line um, you know, on the road, um, or they make a dedicated cycle um, way piece of infrastructure to, to sort of, um, you know, and that becomes, I guess, that joined up approach across divisions. The other thing though, um, what you're saying, Adam, but even just to do that in one silo, 
and it, I think within councils like um, City of Sydney and Brisbane City Council, you have the data to be able to set these things up as living um, living experiments or living laboratories, which is really powerful. And getting all those detailed metrics that Chris was talking about before that he's got out of COVID and being able to look at the nighttime economy or other um, areas and then be able to say, well, you know, we do this, what change did that bring before, during and after? Um, I sit here in research land going, that that's fantastic. You guys can do that internally. The challenge then is how do you then bring in other players? So that's where the complication is, Adam, is then how do you bring in others into that data ecosystem? Because all the nuances around, you know, Chris, Libby, you've got that expenditure data. Um, you probably couldn't give it to me or you couldn't give it to Kerry, even if you wanted to, um, to bring in a third party to sort of help work on that. That becomes a challenge, all the data licenses, and it gets quite messy quite quickly. So yeah, if we could come up with processes to, to take those those really clear ways of thinking and conceptualizing a problem and a solution, and then somehow still look at how we strip out all those issues of, you know, being able to collaborate with who we want to collaborate with in solving that problem. Um, and, and I think those are still some of the challenges, even seeing in COVID, trying to get data and access to data, um, not being within government is still a challenge. And I haven't seen that um, in, improve in this environment and I think it, it could and it should. Um, but I think setting these things up as living experiments, we don't do that in Australia very well. They've been doing this for, for, for a long time in Europe. And then we might see some other benefits, not just return on investment, but other benefits that we can measure as you you know bring in your nighttime economy. You might you know stumble across some other um, incidental benefits that that's bringing to the city because we've got yeah. new data and metrics, we can measure it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Kerry, so from your perspective in the in the private sector, share with me some narratives, some key messages around, particularly now more than ever, convincing a client, convincing a city or, or, or a level of government around the value and the importance of investing in this type of capability now. What, what, what would you be saying to a client? We've got a couple of questions up here about, you know, how do you justify it? You know, and I'm thinking to myself, if we can't justify it kind of now, I, I don't know when we're gonna get another burning platform like COVID-19. <laughs> um, what, what, what would you, what are the types of things that you'd be saying or communicating? Well, it's a it's a really interesting question, and it sort of it comes back to what we are seeing a lot of, which is that the questions and the problems that our clients are trying to solve they don't exist in silos. Um, and so, just following on from I guess what I was saying before is that quite often you'll find that, or I'll find that we're working for clients and we get all of the stakeholders in the room and sort of go back and readdress the problem, which is generally, we can't solve our own problems. We can't answer these questions because we don't have access to the right data in the right format at the right time. And when you get all these people into a room, they sort of, it, it's happened on quite a few occasions. They'll all look at each other and say, do you have that data? Oh, I didn't realize that. And so what we're actually doing is just acting as a conduit to bring all of the different stakeholders in this information ecosystem together and to form a collaborative understanding or a collective understanding of what are the problems that we're trying to solve? Why can't we solve them? 
what is the data that's missing or the insights that we can't um, access that would actually allow us to make better decisions. And so as consultants, we could go in and say, we can give you a roadmap to a fantastic organizational data set um, in the future. But if we can't relate that to the problems that they're trying to solve, they don't see any value in it. So I guess that's where we've been sitting recently is that now this environment that we're in is asking us to do that whole process much more quickly. Um, so organisations are being a lot more pragmatic, obviously, about where they're spending their money. And there's a huge amount of value-driven innovation that we're seeing. Um, I guess as an example, um, just bringing some technology to the table. So we've been doing some work for a client in New Zealand um, using virtual reality technology where we got a whole lot of school children and um, put the virtual reality headsets on them and got them to assess various different types of level crossing barriers. And um, because the, we didn't really know what to design. And we suddenly sort of thought, well, we've got a whole target market out here who try and cross you know, rail, um, rail lines at, in various different ways. And why don't we actually investigate how um, we could design better outcomes um, using technology and getting a different target market in to help us do that. And we could have gone around and engaged with all the various different stakeholders in the actual organization, but we got real data that said, you know, from a seven-year-old's perspective, a solid boundary is actually a really bad idea. And, and I just think, so that's that connection between really quickly solving a problem in a very pragmatic sense and maybe looking at engaging slightly differently um, and then bringing these stakeholders together in order to come out with a slightly different outcome. Um, so I guess, you know, to summarise that, it's really around um, understanding the problems that we're trying to solve and can't. And what if we had more data incrementally, probably, um, what are the questions that we could then begin to answer? And that sort of gives us that value chain um, that we can use. And we're seeing a lot of that happening um, across industry in New Zealand. Thanks, Kerry. Um, rapid rapid um, one word response round of questioning now. You've got one word only. Uh, it's 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 on the back of a question I've got here up in the up in the box. Um, what's the biggest obstacle to kind of achieving this outcome of city analytics, getting this capability up up and running? One word, key key obstacle. Craig, leadership. Libby. Mm. Oh. Um, one word. Good. One word. Mm. I'll come um, back to you. Kerry? Kerry? Chris? Chris Isles? Uh, I'm going to say cost. Okay. Mm. I was waiting for the money question. Chris Pettit? Understanding. Uh-huh. Libby, back to you. I, I'm with Chris. That, you know, for, for us, you know, money, you know, actual budget is, you know, the cost of okay. it is. That was 14 words, but yes, got it. Cost, <laughs> money. Kerry, one word. Kerry? Uh, urgency, I suspect, for me. It was a perfect time for me to lose network quality, so I missed what Libby said. But I would say urgency. Yeah, okay. Um, another comment question here. COVID-19 has expedited the digital transformation. 
of many organizations, many processes. Um, can I get two of our guests to respond to um, what, from, from, from a data, from a digital transformation, from an analytics perspective, um, what's been, um, what's been a real positive that's come from this? This, this necessity to digitally transform in some respects. Give, give me a positive, give me a good news story briefly. Does anyone want to offer something up? I'm happy to talk. I think I've already maybe uh, suggested a couple, which is just this cross-agency, cross-industry, cross-competitor collaboration um, that we're now seeing as a result of, you know, the, going back to it, the urgency, the necessity. We have to work together now um, for the, it's almost for the greater good um, collaboration is, is definitely the biggest positive we've seen in New Zealand. Anyone else want to offer up a, a, a positive? Yes, Libby. Look, I think I think it's a it's a deeper understanding of um, the need and value of data and how important it is to our decision making. Like it's the first thing we look for uh, in a crisis situation, and when we don't have it, we're blind. You know, particularly as government. So I think yeah, look, I think the the actual the value and the need for it. Um, it's just being reinforced, which is a which is a good thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, hey Craig, um, the yeah. technologist of the of the group. So it, it, it's it's sort of digital transformations are us is your business name. You know, you 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 pull up outside the the city, you you walk in to council chambers with your your toolbox. What are the three technology and data solutions that you're bringing in? to help equip them with a city analytics capability? You've only got three tools in that toolbox, what are they? So maybe the first one wouldn't be a technology solution, it'd be uh, an approach we, we take um, to building our own products and services that's um, proved quite uh, popular, it's, it's called working backwards. So every uh, thing that we build at Amazon goes through the working backwards process and output from that is, um, a, P, a press release, which is like future dated and explains the what these people in the future are experiencing because you've built this product. And it includes an FAQ that is uh, for, for external customers and also for in, internal stakeholders explaining what that is. And we run these workshops so that, you know, people mention cost and, and that, that's very important for our customers. It's probably after security, the most important thing I get asked about. But being able to use the um, these methods to get really clear on what you're going to build, and then you can start thinking, oh, what data do I need and how do we move forward? Uh, from a, a technology point of view, if- uh, You've only got two left now. Um, just quickly, I've mentioned data lakes. I think data lakes, uh, especially in the uh, ones built in the cloud, allow you to start with small data sets and really just pay for what you use. So it allows you to do um, experiments securely, um, everything stays in Australia, everything can be completely under control, encrypted, whatever you uh, desire as a customer. Uh, so being able to start small and experiment with, with, with data lakes if you're, if you're not already. And then- um, One more. A, a lot of it depends whether I'm going into, a, a, I suppose, one of the larger councils or the smaller councils. Um, Brisbane City Council. You're going into Brisbane City Council because I'm going to Chris Isles next. Okay. 
hey Chris, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> you got one tool left. What are you taking with you? Um, one tool. You know, when you okay. create lists of three, you can never create. You can never well, think well, of a third. I, I know. Well, okay. Let's let's bring it down to IoT. What's the killer IoT sensor that you would always have in your toolbox? I don't think there is a, a killer sensor, but I, I think oh, um, you're killing me here. I think <laughs> I think understanding, and this is uh, uh, how your network technology, and we've seen LoRaWAN and uh, NBIoT as leading network technologies, having a, a clear understanding of how that uh, your connectivity integrates with your, your data analytics platform so that you're not building two separate things. I like to think of your IoT connectivity and your data lake as, as, as the, the spine from which you can build everything else in a, a digital city. You could build a contact center off that data. You could build a digital twin off that data. You could um, you could do predictive what if scenarios off that, that, that particular spine. So being very consistent around your IoT connectivity and that predominantly in Australia's LoRaWAN networks um, and uh, how that works with your IoT services and your data lakes. Thank you. We finally got there and I think there was some good uh, <laughs> some goodness in that. I'm going to uh, I'm going to jump to a Chris uh, a Chris a question for Chris. Chris Isles, uh, I tend to agree that the philosophy of the true smart city and analytics is free open source data. It appears that the key driver for a business is economic benefit, not for the greater good. This tends to inhibit the universal platform for data that can be accessed by local governments to do things smarter, better, more sustainably. What are we all doing to advance transparency and collaboration in this space? Can you give me your view from local government land? Did you kind of get that question? <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Um, look, I think open data has certainly been a platform that Brisbane's been driving for a long time and can, will continue to be. We we are working, my team works across the organisation to see what data sets can be opened up uh, more and more every year. And I think increasingly government will have more trust to release data and that it won't be used to kind of come back over the fence at them. I think that's the, break, the greatest fear has always been releasing stuff for it to come back over the fence. Um, I think this has certainly changed the COVID period is perhaps, no, maybe not changed the view to open data, but everyone's realising the value when it's in lots of different hands. Um, I guess I certainly have, um, I guess, to kind of tangentially answer my earlier comment to a degree around the cost. It's not so much the cost. I mean, the cost is, it is a lot of money, but it's just because it's something we've never budgeted for. It's just not something we're used to. Um, and until we start factoring in data as a service, as I'm increasingly calling it as a project line in council, we need to start factoring in buying data and whether that's through self-deployment or truly just acquiring data, then we will never change that. The, the, I, I can't begrudge the cost of buying data from the companies who collect it because it costs them a lot of money. They've created value. They should be able to realise it. Um, but we need to find ways to actually um, to start to put that into our budget lines. Um, but I think just around you know local government and, and, and sharing data, a lot of it is definitely there. Um, and and I think I particularly from a Brisbane perspective, you know, we're we're really different to like say using Libya as an example. Brisbane is 55 times larger than the city of Sydney geographically. You know how we approach it, as Craig said earlier, relative to Sydney, relative to a small regional council is really different. Um, 
for us, deployment is going to be a challenge because we have such a geographical area to cover. So I think we may ultimately end up is almost outsourced models where we will rely on kind of greater community um, resident collection or just third party uh, ways to collect that data. Um, and then that data can then become more publicly available because we, like everyone else, will just be one of the people who gets that data. It's not our data. It's collected from, from citizens. It's collected from third parties. And I think, look, time will tell, but I, I certainly think at the moment for us to get the data, I'd love to get my hands on. I can't afford to buy it. Um, and I think the best way we can do it is to use um, the community out there in, in various forms. I'll probably put community as both mums and dads as well as businesses um, into the kind of one bundle to say, hey, let's all put this into one spot that we can all use it from and, and we'll, put, we'll throw data in there already. Um, so I, I think it's certainly the data sharing, um, open data, I think will have to become a, a much wider process. You know, using it as an example during COVID, um, I think the most up, I, I like Libium in wanting to understand how many businesses have closed, what's happening, what businesses are now doing takeaway only. Um, the most accurate and current data set would be held by Facebook through their Instagram and Facebook pages. It's the most up-to-date set of data out there bar none at the moment. Um, if those organisations were willing to share that with cities, cities would be far more advanced in our understanding of what's actually happening in our business communities. And I'm not begrudging them from doing that because they'd have privacy reasons they can't. And also that's probably an incredibly valuable data set. But um, both sides of the equation, I think, can have to get used to sharing data. Thank you, Chris. Um, we've got uh, two minutes to go from my end. Uh, and I, I want to um, ask two more questions. I'm, I'm going to start with Kerry and then Chris Pettit. I'm going to uh, end with you. Kerry, um, we, uh, when I say we, I mean me and I assume some others uh, that I've heard anecdotally um, at times envy sort of the policy, the national policy making environment in New Zealand. Um, there is at a national level in New Zealand um, policy and programs, Stats NZ, you know, a national open data program. Um, can you share with me the importance of policy and programs at a national government level in, in helping you in your work to, to, to create better opportunities with clients on the ground? So this is really a question around the role of national policy making uh, when mm. it comes to this space. Yeah, it's it's not something that we could ever underestimate. Um, the just the head start that that gives us in terms of creating a common framework. So, um, and of course, uh, my work is not just in New Zealand, and it's glaringly obvious the differences. You know, when we're trying to get our hands on really important data sets in say Australia, it was even worse in Africa. You know, the just the availability of a, a national consensus and even support for the fact that we need to have national consensus on the availability and freely of freely available data is even more important. Um, and equally the framework within which that data resides, yeah, it, it just it's something we take for granted in New Zealand quite often because it's been um, the case for so long and I think to see our national level agencies trying to push constantly push the envelope of what's further what you know what else can they do to facilitate better access to data better quality data um, and then the better what we're starting to see a lot of now is um, 
frameworks that bring all of the information together. So, you know, I think there's now a collective understanding that uh, we can achieve much more if we bring it all together within this national framework. So we have had, you know, lots of different frameworks, um, but now I think to bring it all together, it's, it's definitely a considerable advantage and something that yeah, we're lucky very, very much on a daily basis to have. Yeah, no, thank you for that response. And thank you because that's what I wanted you to say because that was dependent on my next question to Chris Pettit, which is Chris, um, from your world as, as the blueprint maker of, of sort of the, the theory and the process and uh, the, the, the building of the capability, how do you feel, what's next for Australia nationally when it comes to city analytics? Nationally. Oh. Or is, that a dead, or is that a dead space that you never see being filled at a national policy level? What are your views on that? What's your response to Kerry for Australia? That's a good question, Adam. I, I think nationally, I, 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 we, we have, as you know, the Smart Cities and programs. About 60 seconds. 60 seconds. What we, we need to, Australia like New Zealand is right up there in the rankings of open data. There's a lot more open data that we need to do but beyond um, governments, we have ABS here, we have other data products that are really useful, but some of the expenditure data that the councils have been talking about, that's now, we're really getting into fine scale, more real time data, current data, which is in the private sector. We are not seeing that data being opened up. If we wanna really support innovation to the next level, and I can say this as a research center, and there'll be others in, universities, in industry, um, what's holding back the next level of innovation is that next level of open data. So we've had the low hanging fruit of data sets like the census data and so forth, which is really useful and some geospatial data um, of the country, but we really need to have more fine scale data and um, more mature relationships with the private sector because over the last 10 years, we've seen the tide turn where government had all the crown jewels of data and they still have a lot of jewels but now the private sector have a lot of those jewels too and if we don't come up with some sort of mechanism for more mature sharing of that data or opening of that data um, innovation opportunities will be lost. Fantastic Chris thanks for that I know that was a, a hard one to finish with but it was perfectly curated with the message that I wanted to leave us all with which was as we can see, no single sector is is going to really uh, solve you know these challenges on their own. And, and I hate using the word collaboration because we don't do it justice. But you know, working better together um, is, is is certainly key. Um, thank you all, uh, our guests, for um, partaking in that uh, in that conversation for our for our audience. Thank you for uh, for joining us. Um, just uh, very quickly, a final uh, sort of note. Um, Smart Cities Week Australia New Zealand 2020 has a lot of offer in its program. Just on data alone, we have a monthly data dialogue. You can see those uh, up on the screen now. Uh, open data lessons learned uh, is next month. Digital twins for cities, shared data agreements. What does data mean in the world of 5G? It never ends. Uh, for those that like to geek out on data and digital twins, we have our digital twin hub, there's a whole range of other things there. Um, that's pretty much it for me, thank you so much everyone for uh, tuning in and listening to our 
third data dialogue on building a city analytics capability. This recording uh, will be available in the next 24 hours. Uh, we look forward to seeing you online uh, and digitally in another Smart Cities Week Australia New Zealand 2020 sessions very soon. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Ed. Thanks. Thanks.